Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school. And that is what this podcast is designed to do, to educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only, to learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. Grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to today's show. I have an exciting show today. This is someone who, this is the first time he and I are meeting. This is uh, Rob Doctors, and he has a recent book out uh, called Ethics and Hidden Greed. And this is something that is the next level human family. All of you who listen to this podcast, you know, we talk an awful lot about what it means to be a good human. And uh, Rob Doctors is somebody who was brought to my attention. And I'm just like, wow, okay, here's a guy who uh, we were just talking off the air. And Rob was telling me, you know what? He's retired now, but he's not sitting still. He has a goal to make the world a better place. And this is why he uh, wrote this book. He does have a pretty impressive pedigree. So I'll just brag on him here in just a minute. He started his education at Stanford. Then he went to law school at uh, William and Mary. And then uh, where was it? Where'd you go next? Columbia for MBA. Yeah, Columbia for MBA. And then I spent a little stint at Yale as well, correct? Taught at Yale for a couple of years. Taught at Yale for a couple of years. And so you know, Rob has been around. Um, this is this is the you know sort of his life's work. Uh, this is uh, an expert that we can really sort of um, you know just ask him what the issues are. And so, Rob, you know, I'm really excited you're here. Uh, I always like to say this because the next level human way of doing things. It's like you know, people we have our education, right? We have the things we learn in our lives, and we have our paths in our lives. And some of us choose to create things that will make the world better. And you putting out this book, uh, I'm just in gratitude uh, for you for sharing this work and in very much in gratitude for you for showing up here. So let me let me kind of start this discussion and um, just throw this out at you just right off the bat. You know, you obviously wrote this book because uh, you felt something was wrong in, in, uh, in the world. That's how most of us do it. You wanted to create something to correct this problem. So why don't we start there, just in your words, where you were just like, you know what, I have got to put this work out because something is wrong in the world. And I want to kind of hear what your whole thought process was around bringing this life to work. Sure. Uh, I mean, it came, a lot of things came together, but in a way it started at a breakfast. Uh, mm-hmm. I was having a breakfast with a client. Uh, she CEO of a multi-hundred million dollar company, and she's really smart. And she made an interesting comment during breakfast. She said, you know, I feel like I've been a victim of some things, 
but I'm not really sure when and where and how. So I th afterwards, I thought, wow, you know, we have a really bright woman, and she can't put her finger exactly on where and when it happened. So that prompted some thinking. And in the end, uh, I concluded that greed, like many things in life, is evolving. Greed is smarter than it was 50 years ago. Greed has managed to think of ways of man, you know, obtaining what it wants, but it's not immediately obvious to the victims. So that's what prompted the hidden greed part of the title. The ethics part was interesting because I think a lot of people have no clue what ethics are. Uh, and I don't say it in an insulting way. It's just that's not something that's taught very broadly, either in primary school or college or anywhere else. So I, I rummaged around a bit, and I found a professor from Cambridge University in England who had written a book in 1669. Wow, that's a, that's a long time ago. Yeah, not a recent book. <laughs> yeah. But it was extremely straightforward, and it said, this is ethical, this is ethical, that's not ethical. And, you know, you mentioned we live in a politicized world. Well, one of the nice things about 1669 is you can't associate that person with any party that you care to dislike. So, yeah. And who, who was this author? Uh, ah, it, his name is Professor Henry Moore, M-O-R-E. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was an interesting person just by himself. He, he was a exactly what you picture of as a uh, very, uh, you know, dug in to the work kind of academic. He was offered the, 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 to be president of his college and he turned it down and he turned down all sorts of other honors. He just wanted to write and learn and teach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, good for him. Not yeah, you know, it's funny about that when you talk about, uh, you know, the time period, you know, to me, I'm a, I'm a reader of philosophy. Some of my favorite philosophers, Immanuel Kant, which is, you know, one that's one of my uh, favorites who does a lot in, in uh, you know, sort of with with ethics. And uh, it, to me, these Enlightenment thinkers, what's different about them is they were at a time where they could sit around think all day. They were also at a time where the world was uh, very tumultuous. They were, you know, watching the, this crazy world. And so I love, I didn't know that this is where some of your inspiration came from, but I certainly take a lot of my uh, inspiration from this time period as well, because I think it's a unique time period in terms of people thinking about very difficult things, not being distracted by, you know, <laughs> internet and TV and things like that. And, you know, uh, the world was a pretty volatile and, you know, very different with a lot of, uh, you know, people trying to figure out what is right, what is wrong, revolutions, all these kinds of things that, you know, were, have, that were going on from the 1500s all the way, you know, to the, the early 1900s. It's really interesting that this is uh, where it started. I'm, I'm curious because, you know, I, I feel like as much reading as I've done, I also am ignorant to, to ethics. And so, can we just start with like a, a brief sort of understanding of, you know, what really are the basics of ethics for those of us who have not necessarily made this our lives work? What would, what do we need to be thinking about to be ethical people or to 
judge others as ethical or unethical? Okay. Uh, the answer is, in, in general, the definition Professor Moore gives ethics is that which would make you and other people happier, what lets them live a happy life. Hmm. Now, Charles Manson may have led a happy life doing some unethical things, but in general, that's the idea. And well, he certainly wasn't making other people happy. You know, he might have been happy, but he wasn't making other people happy. So my, yeah, in, in my, am I right in saying that something ethical it makes you happy, but also uh, impacts other people in a positive way? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. in fact, uh, the, the 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 professor Moore describes uh, twenty three rules. Uh, we can go through them, but I doubt you want to. Um, mm-hmm. That represent kind of a manual for, for, for ethical living. And they range the whole course of things, but they're very, very profound. For instance, just by way of example, one of them is not only should you not lie, you should not create something that creates untruths or lies. And I read that and suddenly artificial intelligence popped into my mind. This is someone creating a device that is pretty indifferent to what what says is true or not. It just basically takes the existing data, layers on the different algorithms, which is how AI works, and doesn't really care whether it's ethical, positive, or anything. That's what it claim it's going to give us an output. So, any rate, uh, more more went through a lot of stuff, and I thought he, he clever things. And regarding that last piece, he said, to release a lie into the world that other people believe, it's like releasing a ghost. It will set you on a path that you don't know the answer to and will create unhappiness. So, yeah. you know, by the way, chunk of his book, because it's not in every library, is an appendix in the back of my book, because I felt, he, you know, people should be able to read this when they want to. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that's worth mentioning is a lot of people confuse ethics with morality and ethics with law, and they're different. And Professor Moore, again, describes how different they are. Example, uh, to park in the wrong parking spot, that's not unethical, it's not immoral, it's nothing. It's illegal, you'll get a ticket, but it's not any of those other two things. So law is its own thing. Morality is goes is, is whether something is consistent with a precept, either a religious precept or a personal precept of how you should live your life. And a good example <clears throat> uh, of morality is do unto others as you would have them do to you. Hmm. And again, that's not strictly ethics, although... That's a good overlap example. Ethics, on the other hand, the example that one ethicist wrote was, he said, if you tell your children that they have to eat their meal and afterwards they're entitled to a dessert and you change that rule and at the end you say, well, you may have eaten your meal, you're not getting your dessert. That's unethical. And it's not illegal and it's not immoral, but it is unethical. Another example of moral, by the way, is if you're walking along a river 
and your wife or someone you owe a duty to falls into the river, there's no legal obligation for you to jump in after her, but there is an ethical one, no, sorry, a moral one. And that's just worth knowing because otherwise, if you don't know the rule, you're not going to behave that way. Yeah. So, so based on that, if I'm understanding this correctly, do you see these in, in a hierarchy or are they just sort of all three separate things? Would you say that one is better than the other? Like, is it better to be moral? Uh, is it, or is it, is it better to be ethical or is it better to, you know, uh, stay within the law? Because from my perspective, I would say, just listening to this, I would say, mm, ethics sounds a little bit more like integrity. Morality sounds a lot like, you know, what culture, you know, thinks you should do and the agreements around that. And law seems like it's more coded things to keep people in order. But I don't know if that's how you would uh, break that down. Um, the, 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 there is there is a hierarchy to these. <clears throat> For instance, interestingly enough, in law school, I learned <clears throat> the reason for a jury is to act as a limit to what a court can do. The original juries were created because at the same time that the French had rolled over into England and the Norman conquest and had taken over England, the juries were there to make sure that the French lords did not do something that was unfair to the peasants. So in that case, clearly that stage of history, that country, had placed law below morality. Your next question might be, all right, so where is ethics? Um, the answer is not so clear. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, I've never been asked that question before. Good question. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, part of me, and I don't know, maybe we can flush it out here as we speak, but part of me feels like when I was hearing your definitions that ethics seems like uh, more of a personal uh, thing, uh, whereas morality seems like something judged against culture, uh, and, uh, you know, laws obviously are, you know, but, I, but I don't know. It's, it's just really interesting. And I know, you know, ethics and morality seem so close. They're not, doesn't seem like they're easy, uh, to, uh, sort of tease apart, but I love going through this because this is, you know, this begins up mining your discussion with all the listeners of, you know, the philosophy really around this. And, Ultimately, you know, if we're trying to be good people, you know, essentially you're telling us, all right, you want to be aware of this difference between, you know, morality, ethics and uh, the law. And so uh, you, you wrote this book because you were obviously concerned about some of the things that are going on in the world, in the corporate space, in the political space. And also, you know, just from my perspective, and you and I were kind of talking offline, so I'll just include the listeners into this. From my perspective, I look at the political landscape and the corporate landscape, and then I look at the individuals who are incredibly uh, suspect now uh, believing anything. You know, so what are we what are we meant to believe, you know, about vaccines? What are we meant to believe about what our politicians say and whether that's true or not? How how trustworthy are people like the F FDA and the CDC? And it sounds like this is ultimately why you're sort of uh, approaching uh, this work. And, and, and to me, these are, you know, really important questions now because we, we come from a place where it seemed like we used to trust and now we simply don't. And I'm assuming uh, this is part of, you know, what you're tackling in this work. Yeah, well, I mean, you 
it's good. I'm, you know, you've raised the basic question, which is who who is ethical? Um, and 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 the answer is, uh, let's take it from the other side. Who's unethical? And there's a couple of rules that are actually work pretty well as to figuring out who's unethical. People are unethical because they feel entitled to be. That's a really important statement. So when you look at someone, ask, what does he expect or she expect the world to provide her? There's a wonderful case study. This book, by the way, to answer that question, delves just a little bit into psychology. And Mm -hmm. there's a guy who had a great experiment, which was he set up uh, what we claimed were focus groups. And he had a group of participants who were wealthy show up and he put them in a waiting room with a giant bowl of candy. And he said, the bowl of candy's there. You can have one candy, but the bowl is really for a bunch of children who are here tomorrow and we want to have enough candy for them. So only take one. He did the same thing with a group of not wealthy people. And he said, but you'd only have one. So you already guessed it. The wealthy people dug right in and they all had multiple candies. The not wealthy people just took one. That's because the wealthy people felt entitled. Yeah, so entitlement's a big deal here then. Exactly. And, And you have some really famous cases like Martha Stewart. Who, as you know, ended up in jail, so crossing mm-hmm. the law as well as ethics. But I thought it was very interesting. She she did her illegal deeds shortly after having gone public with her company, and she was worth one point nine billion dollars. But then, when her stockbroker came to her and said, "Hey, we might make two hundred thousand dollars if you do this illegal thing with your stocks," she said, "Sure." She didn't need $200 million. I mean, you and I would notice it, but, but she didn't. Um, so she went ahead with it, and she did the illegal thing. And in the end, <laughs> um, she paid for it, but she didn't need it. But she expected it. She had spent her whole life seizing opportunities, and this was one of them. I'm sorry to break into the show, but I wanted to take a second to cover one of our sponsors and tell you all about Paleo Valley at paleovalley.com. These are the grass-fed sticks that I tell you all so much about that all of my friends know I have on hand constantly. They are in my car. They are at my house. I keep them at my sister's home and my parents' house. I have these things everywhere because they are the simplest, most convenient whole foods protein supplement you can get almost like carrying around pure protein, low carb protein in your pocket. They also, these Paleo Valley beef sticks are the only, the only 100% grass fed and grass finished beef sticks on the market. They use organic spices. They are naturally fermented instead of using nitrates and nitrites that can be a problem in some of these cured meats, and they simply taste fantastic. Check out the original or the jalapeno. Those are my favorites. Please make sure you go over to paleovalley.com and visit. When checking out, use the code NEXTLEVEL for a 15% discount. Remember, 
Our sponsors keep the show going by you giving them your patronage and spending your money on these high quality products. You actually do a few things. One, you're helping to support the podcast. And two, you are helping your health. And three, you are making sure that good quality companies like Paleo Valley can be out there doing their business, changing the world, making the earth better. One of the things you may not know about this is that grass fed organic and grass finished beef is doing something that is so utterly important for our environment, actually helping to repopulate the topsoil. A lot of people don't know this, but our topsoil is being extremely depleted. And raising animals, especially cattle, the correct way helps to get that topsoil back. This is one of the reasons why I love Paleo Valley, not to mention it tastes fantastic, but they're one of these companies like my other sponsors, Cured Nutrition and Organifi, that are doing the right things by the environment. I really appreciate everything they do, and I hope you will check them out. Thanks so much. Paleovalley.com. Use the code next level. And now back to the show. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting, that's a really interesting case, right? So it's almost like, well, she feels entitled to make more, or maybe she feels entitled to be able to have insider information and that that is just, you know, because of her position and she takes advantage of it, which in a sense can make us have some level of empathy for that. And on the other side can have some level of contempt for that. Cause I can understand, I can go on one hand, I could say, wow, I guess I can sort of understand where someone's coming from in that situation. If they're not thinking and they're kind of out of touch in a sense. Uh, so on the one hand, I can go, I can slightly understand that some empathy, but then also some contempt for the idea that, oh, you think the rules don't apply uh, to you. And uh, that is an interesting uh, sort of way of looking at it. And maybe this is why these things divide a lot of people, because maybe some people who, you know, sort of, go, you know, could be in a position where they go, no, I can, I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. And someone else might be like, what are you talking about? That's unfair. And this is, seems to be some of the arguments we get in when we get into politics and things like that. I'm curious uh, what you're seeing in the conversations that you're having, you know, you mentioned to me that you, you know, basically were a consultant for a long time. You worked in law for a long time. And, and you mentioned this idea of greed evolving. What have you seen that is different now in this ethical landscape with companies and uh, individuals versus, you know, government entities? Like, you know, for some people, for example, I guess if you're a liberal, you're kind of like, well, I'm going to trust the FD, FDA and the CDC, but I'm certainly not going to trust, you know, uh, the tobacco companies and the pharmaceutical companies. And, you know, and, and it seems like the Republicans are oftentimes on the other side. I'm not going to trust the government. They're they're the problem. But I'll trust corporations. We know that there's probably ethical issues in both places. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, are there some commonalities here? Like are, are the same ethics challenges showing up in government, in corporation and, and, and in individuals? And, and do you see any, you know, signs or symptoms that are pointing to general themes that we're having to deal with, you know, in the current culture? Well, there, there are a number of themes, but to squarely address what you just said, you see unethical behaviors both on the parts of government and on the part of corporations. They, they tend to be a little different and maybe the scale is different sometimes, but nonetheless, uh, examples. Uh, one of the uh, uh, examples, and actually, let me give you one that blends the two. Uh, mm -hmm. You walk into a pharmacy and you'll see this little rack of what you would call suntan lotion. Well, 
It is, but some of them actually say suntan lotion or sunscreen. Others do not. What's the difference between these two? And the answer is nothing. What happened was that the original suntan lotion people uh, went out. They patented five ingredients for suntan lotion. And they went, went to the FDA and said, hey, you know, these are the five ingredients, you know, that are important in the suntan lotion. So if anybody else calls what they've got suntan lotion, but it's not those five ingredients, you should stop them. So if you start a suntan lotion company and you don't have those five ingredients, which, by the way, happen to be patented, uh, you will get the knock on the door from the FDA, encouraged by some of the incumbents. Now, you might say, well, maybe that's just the way it is. But no, it's not. In Europe, there's 22 ingredients that have been improved for suntan lotions. The only difference is if you get to use that label, you can charge a higher price, suntan lotion. So, hmm. hey, you know, they are now blocking their competitors. And if you were, don't happen to know the facts I just gave you, you might think, well, I better take the more expensive one because it's got you know, the FDA approval for this. And the answer is... Yeah, that's so interesting. So unethical on both sides. Yes. Unethical in, in the, the sense of corporations and unethical in the way the, the government, uh, you know, I don't know the right language here. You know, some might say colluded or, you know, uh, agreed with. But I think, you know, for someone like me who's neither doesn't consider themselves on the left or the right, I tend to see the world like just like you described like from my perspective when people go oh it's the government i go and the corporations and when people go it's the corporations i go and the government yes and 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 then i wonder i oftentimes wonder to myself what happens when you have these large sort of organizations because there's two arguments to be made here right like if i'm sitting here talking to to you rob or a few and it's me and you and a few of the listeners we can look across the table at each other we can kind of get to know each other if one of us lies, uh, it's, it's going to be likely perhaps that, you know, if you have a group of people, if it's just me and you, maybe you and I can go, hey, we're going to keep this a secret, right? But it seems to me that the more people we bring into our group, the less likely it becomes, statistically speaking, for someone to go, I'm going to keep this secret along with Jade and Rob, let's say. If it's, you know, like maybe I can, if I'm a single person, I definitely can keep it and be unethical. You come in, it's, you know, we can do a pretty good job, but it's less likely if it's just one person. And the larger it gets, it seems like it's more likely not to be able to be kept a secret. And, and I guess what I'm asking here then is like, to me, I go, when, you're, when I'm worried about ethics and, and things like that, is there any truth to the fact that the bigger the organization gets, you become more unethical or more ethical, right? Because conspiracy theories, in a sense, are really interesting things like, to me, the larger amount of people it would take to, you know, conspire means that the more likely it is to, to be to get out. The, the, you know, if it's just me and you and we, you know, we decided we're going to do something highly illegal, we could probably keep that secret. So I'm wondering why does it seem to many people and is it true that larger organizations tend to be more unethical or, you know, like what's the or, or not? I, I'm wondering if you have any. Uh, ideas here because some people might just say, well, they're, they're unethical because people are unethical. Other people might say they're unethical because there's something unique about these organizations that make them unethical. And I'm wondering if you have any, you know, sort of, uh, 
insight on that. And I'll give you one example where my mind is just to kind of my mind is like the idea of, let's say, you know, you're a lobbyist and, you know, you're for a company and I can't certainly go. You and I can't go to Congress and just be like, hey, I want this law passed. You know, we can't, you know, we're, we can't just walk in and see, you know, a senator or whatever without some gatekeepers. But these lobbyists certainly can. And maybe, you know, the organizations are simply set up in a way that makes unethical behavior more likely. I, I, I don't know. I'm curious if, if this is something you've thought about, if it's something you tackle uh, in the book, because obviously nowadays, you know, uh, the world is rife with conspiracy theories. And I think we would all agree that there's a lot of unethical stuff going on, but we can't always tell. And the larger the organizations get, sometimes it seems like the more difficult to tell the truth. Well, what I learned from looking into this is I was surprised. I thought, you know, evil person does an evil deed, fine, understood. But what it turns out is evil and, and conspiracies and unethical behaviors often are conspiracies. They often require teamwork. Uh, you may, you know, a recent, very public example, but there are thousands of them, uh, was Jeff Epstein. Uh, and he didn't sexually abuse all these young women by himself. He had dozens of allies. He had very powerful people. He had a federal prosecutor who handed him the lightest possible deal they could ever hit, you know, and then sent him out in the street again for zero bail. Now, eventually this caught up with him, but the point was, it wasn't him, it's a whole conspiracy of people. Hmm. So the answer is you have to watch for those conspiracies because if you're a single victim, you will have a hard time fighting against that. And hmm. ethic, unethical people target the weak. Many people, you know, are, are, are weak. The poor are weak. Over history, women have been weak. You know, the people who don't happen to have an army have been weak. Yeah, and by weak, you mean uh, uh, not in positions of power, not in dominant positions of power due to the cultural, you know, sort of construct. Exactly. Yeah. So giving, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's just too bad, but uh, we... Uh, probably don't teach the weak how to defend themselves. I mean, recently with the Me Too movement, women have found out there's some ways they can at least publicize, if not actually, you know, counteract being sexually exploited. But, you know, it's, it's, it's always been, uh, they've been on the receiving side of that. What's interesting is that, uh, Sometimes there's battles back and forth between the ethical and the unethical. And it's like any war. It's not clear who's going to win. I was really interested to see, apparently a few years ago, the White House, which you'd assume was a fairly powerful organization, uh, had its computers hacked. They think that some Russians were behind it, but they don't actually know. So they went, uh, our security people went in and they canceled the programs that were the hack, hacking programs and purged them from the computer. And much to their surprise, immediately 
there was a new program replacing the old one. The hackers had become very sophisticated at replacing the programs immediately. And according to the head of cybersecurity for the White House, it wasn't clear who would win for a little while. So this whole notion that greed almost has a personality, it fights back, it looks for weakness, it is ruthless, uh, is something that hadn't occurred to me for a long time. Uh, but researching the book, yes, it is. Now, there's still individual form you know, examples of, of unethical behavior. Um, for instance, uh, looking back again a few hundred years, it was interesting. There was a case in England of a baker. And in those days, you didn't buy bread by the loaf. You bought it by how much it weighed. So the baker would take a lump of bread, stick it on a scale, and say, that's two pounds, that'll be X many, you know, shillings that'll cost. Um, and that was the basis for the agreement. What happened, though, was in those days, labor was cheap, ingredients were expensive. There was a boy beneath the counter and a little trap door. So a little trap door would open. The boy would reach up, grab a lump of dough, pull it down, open the closed trap door, and then the baker would take the bread, put it in the oven, and apparently bread always loses weight in the oven because of it, moisture dissolve, uh, evaporates. Anyway, he did that for quite a while. It improved his profitability for quite a while, and then he got caught, and then bad things started happening to the baker. He was drawn and quartered. He was hung. He died. Um, now, you might say, well, that was then. This is now. But you may notice that, of course, Apple got fined over $60 million because they did exactly the same thing. Uh, if you had an older iPhone, they would slow down your iPhone. Yes, I remember this. And then you'd, you'd have to go and buy, but are not cheap, a new iPhone. So, you know, some of the homes, sometimes these are sort of solo players. Sometimes they're, they're corporations acting in concert. I don't know how many people inside Apple and Apple knew this was happening, but in any event, uh, but in any event, um, that's how greed can operate. Yeah. And let me, let me, uh, let me give you a person, personal experience, uh, here from my company. And I said, I wanted to talk about this briefly because, um, so my company is seen by, I think could be seen by many people. And, and I think is seen by, you know, in general, we can go out and look at our reviews and, you know, we, we try to pay very uh, close attention to that. But, uh, the company, it's, it's actually not my company, but the company my programs are affiliated with. I'm the face of this. Wow. This would be, um, companies like Natural Health Sherpa that are publishers for, uh, my works. Um, and as, as I've, gotten closer with them part of what we do is we sell workout programs right and then we and then we do upsells on things like supplements and things like this now part of what happens with that tech as you go through so i'll walk you through this and i want you to tell me what you think about this ethically because i do have some uh, issues and me and my business partners talk about this often like how can we do this better but the way the process works when you buy is you see me in a video I'm talking to you. So Rob would be watching or you, the listeners would be watching. I'm talking to you. And this video is going on. There's no real way to skip ahead uh, in this uh, video, which bothers me a little bit. But anyway, so it says, hey, buy this program. Here's why. And it's very educational. So what we're trying to do is we call it educational sales. So we're teaching you something. So if you don't buy, then 
we, the thought process behind it is, well, we've taught you something and we leave a good taste in your mouth and you will, you know, essentially take this information and perhaps, you know, do it on your own. But anyway, you buy. And then once you buy, and, uh, then I'll pop up again and say, hey, by the way, you might need some protein powder. And I explain to you about protein powder. And then after you buy that, I say, hey, by the way, you might need this supplement. And I explain to you about this supplement. Now, part of the issue here is oftentimes what we do is we say, hey, by the way, you can save money if you get three uh, tubs of protein powder rather than just one, or you can save some money. And from our perspective as the business owners, we see this as win-win, okay? Because we see it as like, you're getting a discount uh, on this. We're actually teaching you something along the way. If you bought these, and we know just from you know my uh, you know sort of uh, professional background that these things are highly effective. However, so that's the the side of for us where we think we're ethical. But on the other side in the business, uh, we can see where some things could be perhaps unethical, where we leave these people in these long videos, perhaps. And that this is trapping them there. And sometimes because of the way the tech works, if they get, if they buy the program and then they exit out, right, they still can get charged. And so we get a lot of customer support stuff coming back where we have to issue refunds. But what's, what's really interesting. And the reason I bring this up is because throughout my career, I'm someone who obviously I'm passionate about this work and I'm passionate about being ethical and moral. And I've had my own struggles as people have known and with this uh you know podcast like you know I had an affair you know back in the day and like I've come to terms with honesty is the most important thing to me you know in, in fact I say honesty is kinder than kindness but I bring this up and I want to talk to the expert about this because to me as much as you try to pay attention to this stuff this is not stuff we're doing on purpose in fact most of this stuff is done thoughtfully thinking we're benefiting uh the client and then when they go through the process, oftentimes uh, they have, you know, maybe an ethical concern or voice an ethical concern. And we take these things very seriously and, and have uh, made adjustments uh, as a result of some of this feedback. But I still think some people could see something like that type of business process and say it's unethical or, you know, you're a scam or especially when, you know, it's in the health and fitness industry, which we know is not an industry that's, that's very highly looked upon. It's sort of the current industry seen almost as used car salesman type stuff. But I'm wondering if you have any feedback on this kind of thing where there's, there's this kind of gray zone. How does a company, for example, if you're someone who's running a company, uh, and wants to be as ethical as possible, but uh, thinks they're doing a good thing or also wants to make sure they're profitable so that they can continue to deliver their service because as a business, you're not going to be able to do that if you can't be profitable. Are there rules and does your book cover rules, you know, sort of around this? Like, what are the things that I should be looking at? Is there any red flag that you saw pop up in sort of my uh, discussion with this? It, it, does this, it, does this more get into like, you know, uh, uh, ethics versus morality versus legality kind of stuff again. Uh, but I'm just curious how you see this. What can people like my company, Apple, other companies do to make sure that yes, we're being profitable so we can continue to deliver a service, which we believe the world needs, but at the same time, be, uh, uh, attentive to this incredibly important aspect of, you know, uh, wanting to be good humans and good companies who are doing good work. Well, the general answer is uh, that 
Professor Moore back in 1669 uh, wrote a book called uh, Ekendra Ethicum. He wrote it in Latin while he was at it. Mm. Uh, and he gives you 23 rules on mm. how to be ethical. And the big book actually begins with, with non-sort of uh, academic. It, it, it's a his case story of the five different modern ways that people exhibit unethical greed. Hmm. So the part that, that this bumps up against, and I, you know, I'd, I'd love, love to listen to it before I make hmm. any comment, but uh, is there something called hooking? And what some companies do is they get you to invest in what they're doing. Uh, this could be an argument that there has to be invest some time, but usually it's money. So, for instance, a leading tax software company uh, decided, oh, yeah, you know, everybody who does their taxes then wants what they've written down recorded and the previous year's taxes because you build upon those. Um, so what they do is they sold at a great bargain some software that deals immediately with your taxes. And then afterwards, people discover, oh, yeah, hey, it's missing my ability to look at what I did last year, the ability to look at last year's laws, et cetera, et cetera. But by that time, you've already bought and used that current day software. So you have to then buy into last year's software. Yeah, it is a TurboTax, right? It's the TurboTax. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's not what I was thinking of, but yes, they, they do mm -hmm. some of that. So the answer is hooking people is not ethical. Simple mm -hmm. as that. So the question is, you can't always, you, in fact, you can never, I think, offer somebody something without them at least investing some listening to and understanding of what you're offering them. So that's why I'm, I'm hesitant to say that's unethical. I'm just observing that's a route that many unethical people take and yeah. need to know what you're doing. And if that's super helpful, can I can let's let's follow up on that a little bit, because from my perspective, I can see that two ways. One, I hate that, by the way, whenever I have that situation happen. Uh, also, I go I can see knowing knowing when I work with my accountant that when I work with just a regular accountant, you know, it's like, OK, are you going to just do my taxes at the end of the year? Are you going to actually manage my files? That's an extra charge. Are you going to actually do my QuickBooks for me? That's an extra charge because obviously uh, it gets more and more expensive the more time that is invested in this. So with this particular tax company, would it be more ethical to, than to say, here's all the services right up front and you go ahead and buy them? Because I also can see where it's like, all right, you just wanted your personal taxes done. Uh, and maybe give people options. Is it is it the options that gives that makes it more ethical? So it's like, hey, just so you know, we'll we'll do your we'll do your you know taxes for this. But if you want you know the record of it, you're gonna have to pay this. And if you want us to continue to hold this stuff in you know in a file somewhere, it's gonna be this. Is that really what it's about? Like where it's ethical if you say here here's the, all the different prices up front versus kind of sneakily you know, adding this stuff on, knowing that people might run into issues, because obviously I could see that that makes sense logically that the more services you need, the, the, the more, uh, you know, the more expensive it's going to be. But yes, I, I can say for myself, I usually like to see what the expenses are going to be up front 
rather than in getting caught later and being like, oh, this is something I didn't know. So it sounds like what you're saying is it, the, the more upfront a company can be and uh, more transparent they can be in terms of the fees associated with their services, the better. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the sad truth is that the world is not simple. I mean, sometimes explaining all the options is going to take a while. Explaining all the options, you know, is, 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 is not even possible in many cases. Yeah, that's the issue, right? I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I get why some companies may have to do this. I certainly can see why my company, uh, you know, uh, does some of these things because we will see very quickly um, where people don't take action on the first thing that they really need. And if we then throw all this stuff in, they don't realize that, well, it's only 30 bucks to get a 12 week workout program. But if we throw all the stuff in on top, the other stuff they might need right off the bat, they're going to think it costs $300. Yeah, And they may not know? even so, listen to your argument about why that additional $270 is worth it. Not yes. So they go off to yeah. the next offer and they're less candid than you are. So they'll buy, they'll get snookered, and frankly, you come out behind because you were honest. By the way, yeah. it's not just what people sort of say, it's what they do. One of my favorite examples, and I'm, and as I say, I don't think it's unethical, but it is an interesting business example, is uh, there's a travel uh, ticket purchasing thing called Expedia. And what Expedia does is very clever, which is they ask you, all right, you know, you want to go from New York to London or wherever. Da, 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 da. That'll be, uh, you know, $300. If and, and the person who now hears $300 drops off, they know why you're doing it. Either they've got a better offer somewhere else, or they're now going to look further for you know a cheaper price. But what they do is they put a little cookie in you in your in your computer, and when you come back, they'll say, "Oh yeah, that was him again." And what they'll do is they will actually raise the price. So now it'll be three hundred and ten dollars mm -hmm. because they know you went out somewhere else. Somebody else is charging more than three hundred dollars, three hundred and twenty, whatever. And this is actually just their response to, you know, learning what the competition is doing. I want to jump in real quick and tell you about one of my favorite new products. And to start out, I want to ask you a question. If you had to follow your friends around who are not the healthiest in the world and see what they are doing, what would be the number one thing you would probably tell them to do to start? For most people, that's going to be drinking more water, right? This is something that we talk about all the time in health and fitness. It's almost as if we think of it as an afterthought now because obviously water is so crucial. However, we oftentimes get this wrong. For example, did you know that when it comes to hydration, just drinking water can make things worse? Most people don't know this. Why? Partly because most people are over drinking water and under consuming the electrolytes that help water do its job. What we don't realize is that hydration is not just about water. It's about 
electrolytes, the minerals in there, as well as getting that water into the cells. And so you do not want to be over consuming water if you're not getting your electrolytes right. And this opens up a whole new discussion because most people are not getting their electrolytes right. For example, did you know that low sodium, too low sodium is an issue just as much, if not more so than high sodium. In other words, what we want, if we're going to get the right electrolytes is to get the right amount of sodium and potassium and magnesium in the Goldilocks zone. We don't want too much. We don't want too little. We want it just right. This opens up a whole other thing here too, because people who are exercising, doing sauna therapies, doing low carb diets are disrupting and losing lots and lots of their electrolytes. For example, when insulin is not around and low carb diets, you will excrete lots of sodium. In other words, under that state, exercising, low-carb diets, all these things, you actually need more sodium. And so if you're somebody who has been just drinking water, not paying attention to electrolytes, and also feeling fatigued, feeling like you're underperforming, not sleeping right, getting cramps, twitches, headaches, any of these things, then you are probably dealing with an electrolyte issue. This is where the product element comes in. This product has been a game changer for me and many, many of my patients and clients. This is a rehydration electrolyte beverage, basically. It is a powder of electrolytes formulated with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams magnesium without the added sugar and other nonsense that comes in beverages like Gatorade. This stuff is basically a rehydration beverage on steroids. It is the thing that is going to replenish your electrolytes in the right ratios, decrease fatigue, really correct chronic dehydration. And by the way, many people are dehydrating themselves, becoming hyponatremic, low sodium, when they're consuming too much water. You need your electrolytes on board, especially if you are someone who is losing lots of sodium and other electrolytes through low-carb diets, and lots and lots of exercise. This is where Element comes in. Element is a new sponsor to the Next Level Human podcast. I cannot recommend this product enough. I have been using this stuff for months now, and I have immediately seen changes in my energy levels. I feel like I'm operating on a whole other level, and I have seen this as being the primary thing that people who have been using Element have been telling me that their fatigue is getting better, especially fatigue that comes after very intense workouts that involve lots of sweating and lots of intense output from the nervous system. Please check out Element. Use the code next level, drinkelement.com. That's D R I N K L M N T.com drinkelement.com and let's get back to the show. Oh, that is so interesting, Rob. I, I mean, it's so interesting, right? And you're right. Like I, I, I can kind of like being a business person and dealing in tech in, uh, you know, in, in, this is, I understand we have these conversations all of the time and I usually am the one 
wanting to go all the way to, you know, like, let's just be completely transparent. But it's really, it really is not as simple as that because when you do, you do sometimes confuse um, the issues. And so in my business part, with me and my business part, is we are constantly going back and forth having this discussion. And, and to your point, we, we do realize there are just going to be some people, no matter what we do, that are going to see us as unethical. Uh, and, and, and my whole thing is I'm one of these people that goes, I want to always ask the question that perhaps we are, because I do think, and, and this is another question for you. I do think that sometimes unethical behavior isn't purposeful, right? Like sometimes we, we get into these unethical sort of situations because we're simply not thinking it through. And because to your point, it's complicated. And so for me, that scares me as a person and a business owner. And that's why I was in, one of the major reasons I was interested in talking to you and reading this book is because I go, you know, this is a very complicated thing. And there are some people who are just going to, by the nature of, you know, uh, the psychology of money and other things that if they spend any money, they feel ripped off by a company. But, you know, most people I know, and this might surprise people who aren't business owners, most of my business owner friends, uh, I don't, they're, they're not. They're the least greedy people I know. They they put so much entrepreneurial money, skin in the game, time, lifeblood, kind of like you and I are both authors. Like, you know, you know, let's let's face it. We're not making money off those books. We're doing it because we feel that uh, I mean, we are making some money, but it, it very rarely covers the cost of the time and all that. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people don't know that because they think, oh, you wrote a book and you must have made millions of dollars. Most authors aren't making anything off that. They just believe in it. I can honestly say that most of the stuff that I've done in my life is simply because I believe so that it's so important that I want it out there. And I am terrified that I am inadvertently uh, doing unethical things. And this is, to me, something we all individually should be paying very, very close attention to. And I guess my final question or thought, and we can continue talking as long as uh, you want, because I'm just fascinated by this and I'm so grateful for your expertise. But to me, you know, Rob, I come to this place and I go, well, so what is it then? To me, it almost seems like the only true way that you can possibly be as ethical as possible is just to be within yourself as honest within your integrity, you know, have have these rules. Like one of the rules I, I have is from, comes from Kant, which essentially says never manipulate someone else's reality, period. And in my businesses, I look at it through that lens. Are we, when we're doing these processes, are we manipulating their reality? Are we giving them everything they need to know? And then I just have to go, I've done the best I can. I know people are going to see me perhaps as unethical and I continue to have to be diligent to, to make sure I'm not being unethical. Cause I'm, I'm sure I could find myself in a situation and be like, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize it, but perhaps we are manipulating their reality. And I'm wondering it, where's your thought on this? Is this really just an individual thing? Is your, is your, is the solution that each individual has to be, is, uh, has to come up with an honor code and has to, you know, live an ethical life and educate themselves on this and then the world will get better? Or are there really things that we can do? Uh, organizationally wise, like one of the things I already want to do is just get this list, you know, this 23 list from your book to essentially say, hey, we should go down a list like this to make sure that we are uh, covering these things. But I'm wondering how you see the major solution for individuals and organizations. Well, let me give you a sort of a broader answer than your question. The truth is ethics requires work. It doesn't mm. happen naturally. 
And yes, companies need to work to be ethical, and they need to necessarily pay in blood sometimes. One of the really wonderful ethical examples was a few years ago when India, the government of India, was swinging a little bit to the left. And they approached two companies that worked in India, IBM and Union Carbide. And they said to each of them, hey, we want 51% ownership of IBM India and Union Carbide India. Because after all, we are our own company. We get to be self-determinating, etc." And the answers were different. IBM said, we appreciate that, but, you know, we're sorry. If it says IBM on the door, IBM has to own it. And they actually volunteered to just shut down IBM India. Mm-hmm. Union Carbide went, well, er, ah, and what they did was they sold 51% of Union Carbide to the Indians. That may not sound horrible, but fast forward not a long time, the unions in India who have strong support from the government came in and they said, well, we don't want to do it this way. We want to do that way and did a whole bunch of stuff. The result was the disaster in Bhopal because the unions were not into the same safety regulations as Union Carbide was. And what was that disaster? What was the, what was the disaster that occurred? Apparently, the, the union members did not want to take the same safety precautions. They did not do the same checks. They did not, frankly, work as hard at having a safe factory. And, and was there and was there a, a crash or an accident or something? I'm not familiar with the history of this. Yeah, over 40 people were killed. Okay. They were all dangerous chemicals, and they caught fire, and I they see. blew up, etc., And the Indian government, of course, wasn't going to take any blame, so they blamed Union Mm. Carbide. But in fact, the reason that it all happened was because the government had wanted to control the factory. Ah, that's such an interesting case study, and and we have to learn from these. Yes. So just to say it, there was pain on IBM's side, the willingness to shut down IBM India if needed. Uh, The lazy approach, which was Union Carbide, was unethical and very, very immoral and dangerous. So mm-hmm. the point is it does take work. Also, this is the big thing. It takes work on both sides of the table. So, for instance, there's an there's amusing old expression uh, from Roman times, which was, if fools didn't go to market, cracked pots wouldn't sell. And I love it because it basically mm-hmm. says, you as a buyer have an obligation. So what does that mean? It means, for instance, uh, that uh, one example of, of, of uh, two examples, if you don't mind, uh, are of, of is being humane. So, for instance, as you may know, uh, the tuna industry discovered that dolphins, like Flipper, uh, circle and eat tuna. But if you're a fisherman, you if you set your net over this area where you see the dolphins playing, you capture more tuna, but you also drown the dolphins. Mm. So a lot of people, including me, didn't think that was reasonable because dolphins are just incredibly smart, actually sometimes kind, not always, but kind animals. Yeah, they show compassion even for other species, which is rare in the animal kingdom. Yes. 
So they required through Congress that there be a little circle on the tuna can, depending on whether or not the fishermen had used that technique to catch the dolphins. Sorry, the, 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 the tuna. Tuna, yeah. And it says dolphin safe. Well, people kind of got that. And for a while, people were careful about what tuna they bought. But then the tuna industry went back to Congress and said, tell you what, let's have two standards of safety. So there's another type of dolphin safe, whereas the original one was has colorful. This one is black and white. And it says the same thing, tuna safe. I keep saying that. Dolphin safe. Excuse yeah, dolphin me. Safe, yeah. Um, but nobody knows the difference between the white, the black and white, or the color, except you and me now, since we've talked about it. And I claim mm. consumers need to know what they're buying, and it's their obligation, in part, to make sure what they're doing is humane. Yeah, and so which one is the, the so the real dolphin safe one is the colorful one. And the other one, the black one, is not as dolphin safe. <laughs> that's the one the lobbyists got to. Yeah, that's that's horrible. And you know what's interesting about that, Rob, you bring that up, is to me, a lot of times people who are not business people will sometimes ask me, isn't it tough when you get these scathing reviews or, or people having issues with your company? And the truth of the matter is, for me, um, they're the most useful thing as a business person. Uh, and the reason why is because... I'm very much on board with where you're at with this, where I essentially go, if they're having a problem, someone else is probably having this problem. And, and usually more people are because not everyone speaks up. And so in a sense, I know they're mad and sometimes it's, you know, but I don't get defensive. I, I oftentimes say thank you, uh, at least in my head, because they're solving some of these issues that uh, we may not have seen uh, as uh, troublesome or uh, issues until these people bring them to our attention. And I do, you know, and I think maybe this is speaking to what I was talking about. I do think that we as individuals have incredible power and influence over other individuals who then have incredible power and influence over organizations and over, you know, the final sort of say in things. And so I do think showing up as a next level human, uh, doing the work, as you said, which is hard, you know, for ethics, you know, makes a difference. We influence people in a sense, our behavior is contagious. Yes, and as consumers, we have some influence. The the other key ethical problem I see right now is approximately nine million lobsters a year are boiled alive because people say, "Ah, oh, I love lobster." Forty years ago, nobody cared about lobster; they were known as trash fish. But fine, they mm -hmm. become fashionable, so people now want their lobster. The trouble is, boiling alive a lobster takes on average four to five minutes for it to die. And the University of Bristol and some other academics have found that crustaceans like lobsters feel heat more intensely than humans do. So we are effectively yeah. creating a lot of pain in this animal just to have it for dinner. I should comment, by the way, we used to boil humans. 300 years ago in London, we boiled a pair of thieves in Hyde Park because that was the punishment for thievery. It, yeah. But, and, and I'm told in the Mideast, or read that in the Mideast, still people are doing that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, there's still, there's still areas that are, you know, my understanding is just a few, you know, within the last decade, there was a stoning that happened in, in one of the places in the Middle East. And, 
it, I, I love that you're bringing, bringing this up because to me, these are the things that are incredibly important. It reminds me too of what goes on in the cattle industry, right? Where because of, uh, you know, people, you know, stepping up and saying, look, these animals, you know, uh, have feelings. And when they're hearing another animal being slaughtered, and now they're, now they're these humane slaughterhouses. And, you know, we, we should do what we can do when it's, uh, when we're able to do it, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and we can often and, do quite a bit. So for instance, <clears throat> a year or two ago, I was up in Maine and I happened to be the one who was footing the bill for the dinner. And all these people said, ah, oh, I want lobster, I want lobster, I want lobster. And I said, great, I'm not paying for it unless we get the restaurant to agree to kill the lobster in a humane way. And the lobster, they actually agreed. So the lobster showed up and there was a knife wound in all their heads, indicating mm. they were dead before they were tossed into the water. And it was a win-win. The lobsters weren't tortured. I felt good. Their lobsters were just as good as they'd hoped. So Yeah. And the and the big win, actually, Rob, if I can interject, the the biggest win for me in that case is that that you doing something that may have be maybe awkward, right? Was. And and so you know. But you doing that was an educational moment where you essentially probably educated people on the fact that this is what happens. And and to me, uh, you know, there's that saying that, you know, uh, the way you do uh, one thing is the way you oftentimes do everything. I don't think that's uh, that's not my favorite cliche, but I do think it holds oh, yeah. some, you know, some allure here when we talk about ethics that, you know, like, honestly, when you start thinking about ethics, then you start thinking like even the small things, because from my perspective, you, you said, and, and I love this, that ethics is work. And to me, whenever there's something that's hard, you start by practicing in the easy ways so that you can then be better uh, in the more difficult times. And so to me, I've certainly uh, and I fail, you know, most of the time we're human. So I, I, I get it. Now. But but yeah, but I'm but I'm practicing. And I do think the small way, these small wins, I'm trying to be ethical in every thing I do as simple as, you know, not breaking in line. Like, you know, you see, you know, uh, people might think that's kind. I also think it's ethical and moral, you know, where I essentially go, oh, did I break in, in line in, you, in front of you? Or, you know, uh, even driving in traffic and letting people merge, you know, there's, there's just little things that I see as moral, ethical, uh, kind, compassionate things that I can do as a human that, uh, make me, you know, more likely to be more next level human than base level yeah. human. And you can recognize when the other person's ethical, returning just as a final comment, Professor Moore came up with an interesting, he said, well, you know, I've written this large long book in Latin, but here's two quick rules of thumb, whether you can tell someone is ethical or not. One, do they show gratitude? People who show gratitude are usually ethical people because they realize something's happening on the other side of the table. They usually recognize that there's, you know, some give to both sides. Mm -hmm. So that's one. And the second one may surprise you. He said a sense of humor is a good sign that somebody has a sense of ethics because mm -hmm. it means that they're lifting themselves above, you know, their, their short-term desires. Yeah, I love humor because humor is one of these. I oftentimes think that the people we love the most, they tend to do two things. They tend to self-deprecate, not so much to take their power away, but they but they they self-deprecate a little bit and they compliment. And humor, 
uh, has a way of, you know, bringing yourself down just enough where people aren't threatened by you and also being very inclusive where other people's status is up a little bit. And I love, you know, people who have that uh, type of humor. I also think the gratitude part is really interesting because gratitude to me means you must be empathetic because you obviously feel uh, that there's some kind of exchange going on here and that reciprocity uh, is important uh, to you uh, in a sense. And to me, I, I feel like empathy and reciprocity, if we didn't have those two things as humans, I don't know that we would, you and I would even be talking uh, right now. You know, I, you know, so I love those two rules of thumb. And I think that's maybe a great place for us to uh, end this. But before I do, um, I just want to ask you, is there any other things that you think uh, we should know that you feel like, well, Jade, we kind of missed this one thing. Is there any final thoughts you have? I would say nothing I haven't said before, that to be ethical doesn't happen by itself. You have to put a little bit of effort into it. Yeah, 100%. And uh, for all of you listening, uh, it's funny, I was talking to Rob before we got on, and uh, my assistant, I think, got the book. I have not read the book yet, but the book is Ethics and Hidden Greed, Your Defense Against Unethical Strategies and Violations of Trust. And it's brand new, uh, May 2023. And we should mention your, you have a co-author on this, right? Hans, I don't know how to say the last name. <laughs> yes, it's a Dutch name, Hans Giesges. Yeah. And Han, Hans Giesges. He's on it partially for, for credibility. He was chairman and CEO of a company called Houghton Mifflin, another mm. company called Monster.com, another company called uh, LexisNexis, and mm. three or four other companies. So he know, there's a chapter in there which he largely wrote about ethics in the boardroom. And he talks about the outrageous stuff that filters up to the board. And unless the board has the gumption to say, no, hmm. it will happen. Yeah. And this book really, uh, I can't wait uh, to read it. I, I, I was telling Rob, I do most of my stuff on Audible. So hopefully he's going to get out on Audible soon, but I'm going to make a exception on this uh, particular book. But to have a guide, uh, a modern guide, for ethics instead of having to go back and read Kant and you know all, all the old philosophers is really an amazing gift to the world, my friend. I so appreciate you. Is there a place where people want to contact you and, and uh, you know, are you on social media, any of these places? Where can people reach out to you? Social media. Uh, the, the, so it's Rob Doctors. Um, and uh, the, institutionally, I'm on a, a website called Ethics and Hidden Greed. So, hmm. so, so ethics and hidden doctors uh, is the and that's D-O-C-D-E-R-S. Right. Yeah. Doctors uh, on social. And Rob, just hang on real quick because I want to make sure we got this recording, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, stop it here. We appreciate everyone hanging out. Rob, thank you so much for your expertise, my friend. Thank you. You have been listening to the Next Level Human podcast with Dr. Jade Tita. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe and consider leaving a review. You make the biggest difference when you pass on your lessons and inspire others. That's why reviews like this are so powerful. Your words may be the only ones that resonate for someone else. Please remember the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. Always consult your personal physician or therapist before making any lifestyle changes. And finally... Thank you for who you are in the world and the difference you make. You make.